Determined that we would keep moving until we found the best buffalo country, we went south from the Paladero and struck Moores Creek at its source, following this stream to the South Canadian River, where we camped. Here we were disappointed in not finding the grass better. There was hardly enough grass for our stock. We had lots of fun skylarking in our camp on Moores Creek, but spring was coming on and it was our wish to establish a permanent camp at the best possible place. Unconsciously, we were drawn to that place as other men, long, long before us, had been brought, and which we reached by pulling right down the river bottom, about 12 miles to west Adobe Walls Creek. The latter is a beautiful stream, clear and swift. About a mile from its mouth stood the old ruins of the original Adobe Walls. Here we stopped and camped for the night. I had heard of these ruins ever since I had been in the Plains country. They were of great interest to us. Masterson was curious about the history of this place, so he convinced me to carefully examine these old adobe structures. The next morning, Masterson, along with Billy Tyler and I, rode down into the valley. Masterson, who rode beside me, was the first to see the red clay structures. The sun, somewhat below the horizon, gave off an orange hue. The low sun caused the red clay structures to sparkle. Masterson, noting the effect from the sun, began to wonder about this place. What man in such a far-off day had ventured to establish themselves here? And why had they done so? Masterson asked. The three of us pulled up on our reins and looked over the valley to take a pause and wonder upon these ancient structures. Parts of walls were still standing, some being four or five feet high. The adobe bricks were in an excellent state of preservation. Adobe Walls was a place known to older Comanches, I replied. In 1864, a young frontiersman and his cohorts fought off a Comanche war party there. The white leader, Kit Carson, later became known for his deeds as the Army Chief of Scouts. The three of us observed the morning sky. Mellow blues and pinks blurred together in a silver mist to create a gorgeous scene. I could tell this strange new world was drowning Masterson in curiosity. He was not acquainted with the history of the place. He wanted to know more. Let's take a closer look, Masterson requested. Masterson's invitation gave Billy the idea to make a full gallop charge on the place. Down Billy went with a Comanche yelp, and Masterson and I followed. As we approached the adobe walls, the yellow shining sun started rising from the ground. The morning sun filled the sky with expansive colors of red and splashed the clouds with endless rays of pink. It was bright and absorbing, for its rays highlighted the age-old ruins inviting us to explore deep within its historical fractures. Once we reached the ruins, we dismounted with reins in hand and horses beside us. We ambled into the collapsed structures. How old are these ruins? Masterson asked. Billy, standing next to me, quickly said, Older than my grandfather, that's what I figure. All I can say about my knowledge of the place is what I learned from General Hatch, I replied. When I served under General Hatch as an Indian scout at Fort Elliott, Texas, I asked the general the same question, and we fell into a discussion about the Adobe Walls country. He told me that he passed up the Canadian in 1848, with a regiment of dragoons going out west, and stopped to examine these ruins. Hatch said that Major Bent's son, George Bent, made this statement to him. Bent and company built adobe walls, as it is called. 
Hatch couldn't find out when it was built. All he knew was that it was built by a trading post to trade with Comanches, Kiowas, and Prairie Apaches. Banton Company traded for horses and mules from the Indians. The post wasn't occupied in winter, as the company did not trade for buffalo robes, as the trading post was too far from Bent's Fort on the Arkansas River to haul the hides. Well, there you have it, said Billy. Back in 48, these guys were smart enough to recognize that they were too far out to do any hide business. Now look at us, way out here hunting buffalo. The sunlight came all at once. Not a steady dawn or a trickle of rays. It came like the switching on, violent and harsh. Masterson brought his hand over his eyes to shield from the unwelcome intruder. Well, Billy, you might be right about being out so far, replied Masterson. And our adventure might be a little unsettling to you. Yet I know of no better company than whom we have mustered up among us. Ignoring Tyler's statement, I looked back over to Masterson as to finish my story. Well, Masterson, I said, even though it be true that old adobe walls was established by Major William Bent and his associates, a tradition remains that they merely seized upon a site that had been occupied at even earlier day by men of whom nothing is known, save that they are believed to have come from the Spanish settlements in New Mexico. Billy grumbled with a sigh, then held out his horse's reins. Say, can one of you take hold of my horse? asked Billy in a downturned tone of voice. I gotta take leave. Billy handed over the reins to Masterson and disappeared behind an adobe structure. Hey, Billy, you better watch what you're aiming at, I warned. You know them rattlers are not so fond of yeller extractions. Don't hang fire too long in there. Masterson smiled and said, oh, that's rich. Only a few seconds passed before we heard Billy yelling incomprehensible sounds behind the wall. Hey, Masterson, Dixon, Billy yelled with excitement. I found something. Come here and look. When I entered the ruins, I saw a composition of paintings, which looked familiar to me. My eyes moved along the walls of adobe from place to place, unable to decide what each picture represented. The stroke lines were bold, and the images looked to be from a war or a battle. The images told a story, all condensed onto a single page. What I saw was a series of paintings, with each idea given time and space to be expressed, to communicate the meaning that was a timeline of history. Then it dawned on me. The painting is Ute, I said. A ray of the morning sun entered the shadows of the ruins and danced on every color of precise lines, taking a mosaic form. The images are telling the story of the Battle of Adobe Walls, I waved to Masterson and Tyler to take a closer look. The Utes are mountain Indians and are known for their art, I said. They hated the Plains Indians. They had long been at war with the Comanches, the Kiowas, the Cheyennes, and Arapahoes. So in 1864, the Utes joined an expedition commanded by Kit Carson. The expedition was organized to punish the Comanches and Kiowas for their raids on the Santa Fe Trail. Pointing up to the left-hand corner of the wall was a ray of morning sun that magnified an etched drawing of a wagon train. I think this part of the drawing shows the trail of the government wagons that settlers traveled from the Missouri River through central and southern Kansas up along the Arkansas River and then southwest across the desert for Santa Fe or New Mexico. I think you're right, I replied. From what I see painted on the wall, it's becoming clear to me. 
The painting tells the story of the Battle of Adobe Walls. The symbol of arrows pointed in different directions at the South Canadian River is a symbol of war. The triangle symbols must be camp symbol, said Masterson, as he pointed to a place on the drawing. There must have been several camps in the area. That would mean a large military force would need to be organized to take down that many Comanches and Kiowa warriors. The Allied Comanches and Kiowas were supposed to be encamped for the winter somewhere down the South Canadian River in the northern part of the Texas Panhandle. This was a great winter resort for them and their friends, I replied. As I remember correctly, Carlton directed Kit Carson to take 450 men and strike the raiders in the northeast. Of the 450, 100 were to be Indian scouts from the Utes. These Utes were friendly to the Americans. Kit Carson had been their government agent. They called him Father Kit. Hey, what do these three symbols mean? Asked Tyler, pointing to the three circles with squiggle line painted underneath. The Utes mark the seasons by a turning of the sun, I replied. Those three symbols mark the beginning of December and the onset of winter. Notice on the drawing what looks to be a white soldier symbol, I said. The painting shows figures wearing hats. The saddlebags symbolize the journey. The march down the north side of the South Canadian must have been slow, Masterson said. The painting shows two cannons, and from the marking, many wagons were ahead of the troops with the cannons far behind. That is true, Masterson, I said. I was once told this story from a Ute scout who was on the expedition, I replied. The Ute scout said the infantry trudged in deep snow. The gunners and two 12-pounder howitzers rolled on small wheels behind tugging horses. The scout told me that there were as many as 27 wagons and an ambulance. I paused a second to refresh my thoughts. From what I remember, it took Colonel Carson 13 days in covering 170 miles. Two of the days he had been held up by snow. The winter of 64 was very snowy. The Kiowas named it Muddy Traveling Winter. Now what do you think this means, asked Billy. Billy pointed to several stick figures on the wall painting. Are these symbols of people running around a fire? Looks like they're hot to a trot. Native American Indians were deeply spiritual people, I replied. They believe in a spiritual connection with nature. These beliefs were reflected in the various symbols they used, such as the dancer symbol. The drawing illustrates what must have happened on an overnight stop on the south side of the Canadian River. It looks as if the Utes are having a war dance. I pointed to an enclosure symbol which appeared on the drawing 13 times. The enclosure symbol is set aside for a special event. A ceremonial dance or a ritual, I said. You could have fooled me, Tyler replied. It looks to me like them Indians are in a bender or a bosh doing the fandango and a prairie plunder. Masterson took a side chuckle at Tyler's words while I continued my story. This Ute scout who had been with Carson told me every night after camp was made the Utes held a war dance. They kept the dance up almost until morning. They must have made a lot of noise since about 50 Utes made up the expedition. The soldiers complained that nobody could sleep amidst all that howling and thumping, but the Indians did not care. They danced and grew strong celebrating the scalps that they were going to take. The morning sun is two fists high, said Billy. I'm getting a little hungry. Besides, Mike is back at camp holding down all our belongings. I'm sure he'll be in a stomper when we return. You're right, Billy, said Masterson. 
It's time to get back to camp and pull up stakes. We're not going to find Buffalo by looking at these Ute paintings. We can finish this story tonight around the campfire. Boys, you go right ahead. I'm going to go further south out on the range to see if any of the herds have arrived, I said. I'll meet you at camp tonight. We mounted our horses. Billy Tyler and Masterson returned to camp, and I rode south to further explore the Adobe Walls country. That's it for now. Remember to check out our Wild West podcast shows on iTunes Podcast or at wildwestpodcast.buzzsprout.com. We would like to conclude our show by reminding our listeners to check out our up-and-coming digital bookstore by visiting boothillproductions.com and select Publications. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can learn more about the legends of Dodge City by visiting our website at worldfamousgunfighters.com or visit us at boothillproductions.com. Boothill.